RZ Weekly is brought to you by Kita, which offers flipped classroom learning for Judaic studies in schools and homes around the world. It's also brought to you by Rabbi Johnny Solomon's virtual learning community. Join Rabbi Solomon's learning community and benefit from a wide range of learning opportunities with Rav Johnny Solomon. And now, RZ Weekly. everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZU Weekly, our weekly podcast about modern orthodoxy, religious Zionism, and everything in between. And today we're going to talk about both at the same time as we look back and remember Harav Yehuda Herzl Henkin, Zecher Tzadik Bracha, who passed away uh, this past week and was a leading figure for a number of years in the modern orthodox community. He was the rare breed that is a modern orthodox posik who wrote Sifrei Shutim, an entire set uh, of Shailot and Shuvot that was, that was uh, um, a, sort of an example for others to follow. He was the grandson of a scion of orthodoxy in America in the, in the middle of the 20th century. And it, as well, he was, a, he was I guess, the, the, um, the partner to his wife, Rabbanit Hanahenkin, in the founding of the Nishmat Se- uh, Seminary, uh, which which is also the, the, the founding seminary of the Yoatzot Halacha program, which is really a groundbreaking program that has tremendous, tremendous impact on communities in America and around the world. So we thought we'd take this time to discuss Rev. Henkin first, and then perhaps some of, the, some of our thoughts that emerge from, from, uh, from uh, uh, discussing his life and some of the things that, that he addressed uh, in his writings and also during his lifetime. I should note as well that he was sick for the last number of years, um, s- several years. And since I, since I have technically been in Israel for 12 years, he was not an active figure in the Israeli community that I lived in, per se, uh, not l- less so than other, uh, I would say, leading modern Orthodox or religious Zionist rabbis. And that's something that's difficult. And it, as well, he and his wife um, tragically lost their son, Etam, and their daughter-in-law in a terrible terrorist attack in 2015. So the family is known quite a bit of, of Tsar, and, uh, and Rav Hinkin was not well for many years as well. All right, so uh, I'm going to turn it over to our resident halachist, Rav Johnny Solomon. But before I do, I should probably introduce our resident halachist, Rav Johnny Solomon. He's uh, a regular partner on the podcast, as well as Rav Bali Brovsky. You can look up their bios. They appear on the internet in many places. Rav Johnny, tell us about your... Um, perception of, connection to Rav Henkin, and what do you think that his, his role or major contribution was to the modern Orthodox slash religious Zionist community? Okay, so firstly, shalom to everybody, and thank you. I met Rav Henkin just once. I, I don't know, it's not true. I met him twice. I corresponded with him on uh, a couple of occasions uh, clarifying certain things in response to questions that students may have asked me and I felt that he'd be a useful address to answer and he always was and I learned his Svarim, I learned Bnei Banim uh, and have his other English books and have read many of his other essays. 
my general impression of Rav Henkin, and ultimately I'm not a, I wasn't a close Talmud of his, but I, I had some connection, and I, I hope I did my best to try and understand the intentionality of his writings and psakim, is that he was a profoundly sincere, visionary halachist who deeply believed in trying to find and outline uh, real-life uh, authentic halachic solutions to real-life authentic halachic problems. He was uh, keen to pay attention to social trends and was prepared to address those social trends within his halachic writings um, and was prepared to also approach things differently to many other contemporary poskim. You know, uh, Chaim Soloveitchik famously wrote Rapture and Reconstruction, and so doing contrasted the halachic methodology of the Mishnah Brua and the Aracha Shulchan. And one could argue, it's debatable and it's a nuanced question, but one could argue that many, although certainly not all, contemporary poskim have adopted the methodology of that of the Mishnah Brua. Uh, Rav Henkin explicitly, this isn't my presumption, he says this uh, in many, many places in many different ways. Rav Henkin explicitly uh, adopted the path of the Aruch Shulchan, reflecting common practice as well as an understanding of uh, general standards and attitudes within his Psakim. And so he was both nuanced in his reading of Halakha, but also nuanced in his reading of social developments. And he talked about things that other people didn't talk about. And for me, uh, in my uh, 20s and 30s, reading rich, detailed halachic writings, which reflected the world that I know, grappling with the questions that I was considering, sometimes being matu, sometimes being oser. He wasn't always lenient, as people often presume about uh, poskim within the modern orthodox world. But dealing with things in a very, very uh, uh, thoughtful manner, I was I was very taken by that. I was very inspired by that. Uh, and though I think his style of writing was lengthy in detail, which means it spe- spoke to some and less to others, truth is he was a purist. He spoke Torah. He learned Torah. He taught Torah. He wrote Torah. Uh, and and uh, whenever you read one of his chuvot or his essays or, or spoke with him, you felt that this is somebody who's so reverent towards the halachic process, but also respectful of and determined to find solutions for people. Johnny, you're speaking in sort of abstract terms. Is there any particular cases or or piskei halacha that you can think of? I don't. I, I guess I don't mind putting you on the spot. That 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 really um, bring to life what you're what you're trying to what you're trying to say. Or it's more of a general impression that you have. So I'll give you I'll give you three areas where I felt this was particularly potent. Again, it's all generalization. Uh, area number one, which makes sense based on how oft many people have have um, spoken about him, which is a, a, a deep respect for and interest in addressing questions relate to the halachic life of women. Uh, and doing so from a different point of view to most other writers. Uh, he believed that we'd read into certain psakim, certain um, attitudes towards sexualizing women that simply weren't true, weren't then, weren't reflective of halakha. And he suggested that 
either certain actions and behaviors would be permitted while others forbade it because he didn't overlay into halachic writings that mabat, that approach, uh, that attitude which he felt wasn't authentic in terms of halakha. I'd say specifically, um, you know, I have on my desk here uh, the large book Modesty and Adornment for Life by Rabbi Pesach Eliyahu Falk, which was a bestseller and is an impressive volume. Uh, and those who dismiss it and haven't read it are fools. I, I think it has, there's a lot of beautiful ideas therein. Nevertheless, Rav Falk, who also authored Mahs Eliyahu, and I also met him, um, he approached issues to do with halakha, specifically about women, in a much more uh, attempt, uh, standardized way, a much more often inhibiting way. And that's reflected in many of the trends and demands of Tzniyot and all uh, in various communities. Uh, Rav Henkin disagreed with this approach. It wasn't a personal disagreement, it was a, as a, a halakhic approach disagreement. And he penned a different volume called Understanding Tzniyot, where he outlined, he outlined his uh, understanding of habituation, which he drew from the rulings of the Arach HaShulchan, and basically said things that are done which are not seen to be provocative, should not be understood to be provocative. And so, shall we say, he wrote a, a parallel rule book reflective much more of, of common practice, which I think empowered many people. I'd say uh, two further things. Number, uh, number. he also wrote a lot of these writings, both in his Hebrew Bnei Banim, but also translates them into English. And he empowered men and women to understand sugyot, which oftentimes had only been determined by the select few, uh, and that was a major, major uh, contribution, which has led to many other um, uh, uh, further projects. And finally, I would say, in addition to issues related to women and how he wrote both in Hebrew and in English and addressed a range of things and thereby educated our community about the reading of halakha with sensitivity but also depth, he was a strong voice in terms of morality. And he has many essays, both in his English books and his chuvot which pay great attention to the role of ethics and morality in halakha. And uh, he felt that we'd basically uh, overlooked some fundamentals in Judaism, and he felt that we needed to bring them back to the center of our attention. And for that alone, he certainly should be lauded. It's interesting that you raise the issue of accepted practice uh, versus, I would say, written psaq, because this is an interesting, an interesting area of halakha that sort of, that needs to be uh, that needs to be addressed and studied in a more depth. I, I you know I know it's one of the one of the chuvot they ask him about is like women coming to shul. Like should women come to shul or not? And uh, you know it could very well be that when he was writing these things, it was not generally accepted practice. And if you look at the Shulchan Aruch, it's like very, it's it, the Shulchan Aruch doesn't really encourage women to come to shul because in their time they didn't. And you know if you look in the in the poskim in that way. But he said, you know, yeah, they, if they want to come to show, they should come to show. He had a very interesting comment at the end. He said, and somebody should arrange babysitting too. Because, you know, if a woman comes to show, but she has to take care of her children, then she's really not coming to show. It's just that such a, it could be very well be that some of the things that he, he wrote about became so obvious and such ingrained and accepted practice that, you know, you know it's like one of those things that the, the attitude becomes so ingrained that you don't really think about how innovative it is in, in to, because it became something that's that's clear right it's, it's that real life sensitivity which is which was super important and in my correspondence uh, uh, truth is i've since changed 
some of my early emails was from an email address that no longer exists, but I still got some with my current email address and some correspondence. And when I asked him questions, he'd give very, very concrete guidance. I'd ask a, a question about a student. He'd say, yes, but for this amount of time, it should be reviewed. He, he wanted to meet people where they were at, but again, with a profound dedication and loyalty to halacha. And I can't stress this enough. You know, uh, many of the Shailot Trubot in the contemporary era are quite brief, often aren't in-depth, and often don't display a, a profound understanding of the of the reading and, and, and uh, comprehension of the Gemara Rishonim Achoranim. Every single thing he wrote, he, he was holding in all of that, and then some. And even those who criticized him, uh, when they'd say, we think you're wrong, from just some kind of subjective perspective, ironically, you may think he was being subjective. On the contrary, he'd show them all the Marim Akumot to demonstrate his position. Everything he said was thoughtful. Um, and though he was criticized by those who didn't like the direction he'd take, they couldn't fault his, his not just his lambdas, but his respect for Allah and respect for people. Okay, Mali, talk about your, obviously the women's perspective. You, your perspective is, is you know, represent all women, but is, is critical here. So um, I guess not just talk from women's perspective, from your perspective, what was Rav Henkin's influence on, on you, on your community and on the broader Jewish community. Okay, so um, I will address that. I just want to say one thing about um, uh, Rav Henkin's approach, his halachic approach. I called a very good friend of mine, um, who is a Yoetzer Halacha, uh, long time, very, very, um, very well established and excellent, excellent Yoetzer Halacha. Um, and um, I asked her because <laughs> you're laughing because you figured out who it is. Um, I'm guessing. <laughs> it's not so hard. <laughs> it's not so hard. Three guesses. Um, I bring her in to speak to my students every year, and she always quotes Rav Henkin. So I want to. So that's how I know of Rav Henkin, essentially, from you know hearing uh, about about Nishmat over the years. And I, I want to say something about his partnership with Rabbanit Henkin and and founding the Shmat, which is that Rav Henkin was 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 not just a partner to his wife in founding the Shema. He was the halachic, he along with Varhaftig, they, they are the two cornerstones together. They are the, the um, um, halachic authority on which the entire Yoetzer Halacha program is based. Um, and uh, like they're the bottom line. Like well, when a Yoetzer has a question that she needs uh, you know, a rub for, so again, my understanding is that it could be that Varhaftig at this point is more on the... Um, the um, hotline and Rav Henkin was more on the um, the website, but that might be later. I don't exactly know how they, but they, they, they were really partners. They're the bottom line halacha. So he was really foundational when it come when it comes to the Yoetzot. Anyway, so what what this Yoetzot said to me about about his halachic approach, which um, I think was very accurate and very moving. She said he was at, he was not a, a machmir or a mekil. He would read the halacha and he would see what he thought was the emet. And that would—that's how he would pass it, and I think that very much um, uh, is in line with the way John is describing him, right? Mamash, like, like um, it, it, there was no, there was no sense of like I have a, a, a um, preconceived decision that I'm gonna, that I'm gonna, I want to look for this answer or that answer. I also have no fear of being an original thinker, right? So he would read the sources and he would come up with what what he thought was the proper approach. And all of that, you know, now you ask me, now I'll move to like, you know, how I think, it, I think so, his, his contribution in terms of specifically women in, in, in Jewish life and in halacha, so beyond, obviously, 
I think the absolutely transformative um, power of the Yoatzot, which Ruby, you can speak about as well. You also have family connections to, to the Yoatzot program. Um, the book, Understanding Sniut, has been a gift that I've been waiting for for years because when students, 18-year-old young women, are looking for, um, and, and, and perhaps we can even say modern Orthodox young women, are looking for a, uh, a work, a halachic work, that's going to also feel grounded, serious, not just, you know, the hashkafa of tzniut, but really giving them halachic basis for what they're going to do. But at the same time, is coming from a world that, as Johnny described, is a world that they can relate to in terms of their values, in terms of their perspectives. Understanding tzniut, and, and again, an approach that w- women find, um, as, as Johnny kind of intimated, a lot of times the approach to tzniut that, we, that, 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 is, that too many women have encountered doesn't feel... Um, for for one reason or another, if you want to talk about, it, we can. But for one reason or another, doesn't doesn't resonate with them as it's it's not it's 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 not an approach that they find resonates with them. Understanding tzniut is understanding tzniut both in its hashkafik isha and in, in its halachic rigor and in its psak. By the way, in its psak as well, like at the bottom line psak. Is, it's finally the book I can put in my students' hands. And they can learn and they can read and they can be enriched, again, both in terms of their worldview about Sniut, in terms of their feeling comfortable that they're reading a safer of real halachic integrity, and also finding psak that really can fit with a real-world uh, approach that they can actually follow with a sense of um, a kind of being invested on all of those levels. So I guess that's my answer to, like, you know, the contribution. I mean, it's 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 so it's profound. It really is. Okay, so I, I want to. I, I don't. I think that we, we're kind of assuming something, which I can't think can't be assumed, which is the the innovation. I mean, all the things you described are very are very nice and very important for to have a a, a posik and it, and I would say also unbelievably rare who speaks from a cultural place as someone who's modern but is also steeped in halakhic literature and halakhic knowledge and halakhic understanding. That's very, very rare. And that's important and unique in and of itself. But I don't know if that was, that was transformative of the Orthodox community, per se. Meaning, and, and, and I, I say this not as a criticism of anyone other than myself. And then the reason I, you know, I, I was not familiar with the writings of Henkin very much at all. And especially living in America and, and growing up in the YU atmosphere, I can't say once I was ever quoted a safer of his that I could remember that, oh, you should see, you know, Rev Henkin writes about such and such. I, I, I can't say that. I, I, and certainly never um, told or paskin by any of my rabbanim say, oh, you know, you could rely on Rev Henkin for this that I could ever remember. And that's an interesting question we should, we should think about. But without a doubt, serving as the, I, again, like the, the, serving as the halachic backbone not just as the posek of Nishma, because they could have gone to any posek to serve as the posek of the of the hotline. Because as you said, he was a posek. He saw that's what a posek is supposed to do: understand the halacha and and the emet in which it is, and try to apply it to the best of his understanding. But to be innovative in that, the, seeing the critical role that women need to play in order to, as society is changing, as women are changing 
as the will, willingness of women to go to men about the most intimate aspects of their lives, and understanding that, that their need to have women serve as role models and guides and teachers and go-betweens, or however you want to say it, who, are, who will facilitate the study of and the teaching of Hilchot Nida and, uh, and the, the application of Hilchot Nida, that was groundbreaking. And you know, I don't, it wasn't obvious by any stretch of the imagination, as we all know, and it took many years, and it's not even fully accepted today. So I think that we can't, we should never uh, overlook that. Of course, Rabbi Nidhenkin is the leader and the role model, but if Rabbi Nidhenkin had gone out on her own and didn't have a Rav Harftik and a Rav Henkin behind them, have you know, known Poskin behind them, I, I don't think the Orthodox world would have accepted it, even if it was the same person doing exactly the same thing. It's, I, I uh, just don't. Yeah, and I agree I with mean, you. I'm saying to me, that's, what, that's why I'm saying that, you know, the first part of your, your comment, notwithstanding, and it's true, I don't think we should underplay really the impact, both of Nishmat and, and what I'm saying is understanding Tzniut as a work of halacha, um, it's, it's really valuable and it's really important. And again, I think it's a game changer in, in the world of Tzniut. I think there are other people who are actually now trying to write more books about, about Tzniut from a halachic perspective. But like, I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say to you, finally, when a student comes to me and says, oh, where can I find out the halachot of how long my sleeves have to be or how long my skirt has to be? Or is, is there like a halacha that has to do with collarbones, right? I can say, read this book. I could never do that before, right? Wait, when did it come out? Do you remember when it came well, it's out? Not, I, I was going to say, actually, it's not quite true uh, because this was his third English book. Inequality lost about uh, uh, 40 to 50% of his essays, which was published. Yeah, so in the past, it was like, oh, so, go read Rav Henkin's essay. But the ability to have right. a safe No, 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 no. But then since but in between Inequality lost and Understanding to New York, he published Response and Contemporary Jewish Women's Issues, which were translations verbatim of the Truvot and B'nai Banim. Yeah, but, some, but nevertheless, yeah, somehow these that's were... Not, it, it, that's not something right. It, it, I know, yeah. I know, I know, because the truth is, first and foremost, this was very broad and actually very heavy. Understanding to New York, it was a response to, and, and that's why I mentioned Rav Folk, uh, and he didn't belabor Rav it in, the, in, a, in um, an improper what, way. It's that the, what's that in Hebrew? I know you've quoted it in English. Is that the, the Rav Folk? What, what's that? What's What's the Hebrew? Is that the... Um... The Tzniot book here. Yeah, so what's it called? Modest Dinah Dormant for Life. No, what, what, I'm saying what's... Yeah, is that what... Ozvadar Levusha, right? That, okay. Yeah, Ozvadar, I have a story right. about Ozvadar that book. Levusha. That book got me in trouble so, at MMY because I, I read so, through it and so, was so um, horrified that I made so, a plitat peh that I had to then explain to the Rosh Hashiva. No, because the point no, is... No, but I'm saying that... I'm actually telling lost... that story. Sorry, Johnny, interrupt. But it's really important because that book, if that... That, that book could set back women's... Um, appreciation for halacha, rabbis, hilchot um, sniut, and like the entire enterprise of how women are viewed within Judaism, like 16 steps backwards. The aim about that, the Ozvadar Levusha book. It's it, it's so difficult for women to. Um, I know you spoke nicely about it, and Wait, I. Hold, just, hold on it's one so second. Difficult hold to on. process. Hey, so, Molly, so, I want to stop you because I'm going to come back to this. We're going to take a short break. Stay with us. This episode of RZ Weekly is brought to you by Kita for Home Plus. We all know families whose children are not studying in formal Jewish education for any number of reasons. Could be COVID, could be the school wasn't right for them, could be financial, 
but they still are looking for a meaningful Jewish learning solution for their children. That's why we created Kitab for Home Plus. Kitab for Home Plus is modeled after the world-famous Khan Academy using flipped learning, YouTube videos, and Google Forms to allow children to learn classic Judaic subjects, Mishnah, Chumash, and Gemara, on their own time, on their own schedule, in a way that's exciting and meaningful for them to learn. We're starting a new semester of Kitab for Home called Kitab for Home Plus, in which children will learn three courses, Mishnah, Chumash, and Gemara, each week, plus have a Zoom lesson to meet with the teacher, that would be me, as well as interact with other students in the class. Kitab for Home lessons are designed for students in middle school from grades five through grades eight and focus on basic skills, decoding of text, understanding of shorashim, critical skills that children need that serve as a foundation for Jewish learning throughout their lives. To learn more, log on to kita.org slash home plus. That's kita, K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G slash home plus. And now, back to the show. Hi there, this is Rabbi Johnny Solomon, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my virtual learning community, as well as the opportunities I've now created for people to have sessions with me for spiritual coaching, for halachic consultations, and for one-to-one learning. Have you ever faced a situation where you want to get some advice about your spiritual direction, religious choices you're making, and you're not quite sure who to turn to? Or perhaps there is somebody you'd like to talk with, but they simply haven't got the time. Or maybe you have a Sheila, and rather than wanting a simple answer, you want to have a better understanding of the sugya of the issues involved. Over many years, people have turned to me for advice, and as a result of that, I've now created a virtual learning community, where I am, for many people, a virtual rabbi of sorts. People turn to me, and I make time so that I can hear from them, talk with them, help them grow, and give them guidance, direction, and understanding. To find out more, please visit my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, where you can either book in for a standalone spiritual coaching, halachic consultation, or one-to-one session, or where you can join my VLC, my virtual learning community. Thank you. And we're back. Molly, I want to come back to you and ask you, because the fact that Rev Henkin wrote a book that makes people feel good doesn't make, doesn't, doesn't, or, or I'm sorry, that not makes people feel good, that explains Siniun in a way that they, that they could relate to, does not take away from the fact that there's the other book that, that's the mainstream book, I would say, that you don't share with your you students. You think uh, so Ozvah uh, is a mainstream book? I don't think it's a mainstream book. But I think, and again, it's not just that it's a nice book that they can relate to. It's that it's also halachically serious and brings sources. It's not just, you could find a lot of, you know, nice treatises about the, the, the you know, the beauties of Tzniut from all kinds of different Ashkafic perspectives. But but to, but to have that combination of a approach to halacha that, that approach to Tzniut that is, um, that women find, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to find a word here, um, 
beyond just acceptable, right? That women find they women can relate to, and that also has halachic seriousness is very rare. But Johnny, I interrupted you before we we went to break, so. So, so I'll just say just a couple of things, both about Rav Foltz's book, but also the contribution of Rav Henkin. As it happens, by the way, I was in Gateshead. I, I made some various trips with students at Gateshead uh, around about my 19, 20 years old. So I was, I was there roughly when Oswald Dalibushah came out. And it's, and it's super important to say, and here I'm not making generalizations, I'm certainly not speaking for other men and definitely not for other women, but it was published by Rav in Gateshead. Right, reflecting the community standards of people in Gateshead. And you know what? Some people in Gateshead, they thought it was a beautiful book. The issue isn't the book. The point necessarily is when we live in the modern age, when books reflecting community standards in one place are then sold in other places, that's where the confusion lays. That doesn't mean, by the way, that everybody in Gateshead loved the book and everybody else didn't. But I'm saying, broadly speaking, Bergadol, and I lived in a place in North Carolina called Edgware, and I remember the Sefer them being in a local bookstore, and I thought to myself, it wasn't, is this a nice book? And Gates said, I, I know, I, I stayed by families who, who loved it, revered it. They said it was basically their, their guidebook to Jewish living. I said, what is it doing in Edgware? Oh, so, like, I'm sorry, yeah, I have to tell you my so story that's, now that's, you're done. Okay, okay, now so I want to hear the story. That's a whole issue, but I just want to briefly say, so what did Rav Henkin do? Rav Henkin allowed those who felt that the other approach, which was basically, it's not about normative, but ultimately it's an approach reflected by, at that point, all the English publishers. You have Art Scroll, um, and this was published by Feldheim. So all the English publishers are publishing a certain way of approaching specifically women's issues. And it's jarring with many women. And they're saying, I don't see myself in this, and this doesn't make sense to me, and makes me feel like I'm doing things wrong. And Rav Henkin said, no, you're not. He gave you the, the feeling that you can stand tall. And even though in, in an essay in, in tradition, responding to one of uh, Rav Henkin's pieces, Rav, Rav Emanuel Feldman said, who is this all-knowing posek who determines which acts produce or don't produce erotic thoughts? The response is, this is Rav Henkin. And if you read your ch- the Tshuva, you'd know that even if you don't agree with him, he's reading halacha authentically. And that sense of self-confidence, I think that's the most important thing. Rav Henkin, and, and here I'm speaking even more broadly than Hilchot Sniot. When I started learning Bnei Bani many, many years ago, he gave me a sense of self-confidence that some of the things that I'd intuited, which were not reflected in the Hebrew language and English language books that were on the bookshelves of the stores around me in my, in my school, in my yeshiva, he kind of said, you're not so wrong. In fact, actually, some of the things you're doing are 100% right. And that self-confidence for me was so fundamental. You know, Lichtenstein has an essay about, shall we say, validating the legitimacy of modern orthodoxy. But there he, there he speaks in terms kind of of philosophy. Rav Henkin talked in terms of concrete halakha. And it led, left a big, big mark on me. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. I didn't I, mean to cut into you. It fits it out. It fits very well. Tell story, your story, Molly. Tell your story. story was, this is, again, that, this is that, years that, ago. It, this is at least 15, somewhere between 15, 20 years ago. I was at, I walked into the MMY based Medrash and I saw the Ozvedar uh, Lavush and I started kind of flipping through it and I see these like, I don't know if I should go into details, but you know, it, it, it does, it has pictures of women, but you can't show their faces. So it's like stick figures of women and it's, you know, this is us, sir. This is Mutter. And it has all kinds of, you know, statements in there. They're clearly not from our world. And so what I said was, what is this safer doing in our Beit Midrash? 
And what I meant was exactly what Johnny said, which is this Sefer may be a wonderful Sefer Halacha for a certain community, but this is not the Sefer for our students. Because if our students think that this is baseline halacha and they don't recognize that this is halacha for a certain world, a certain philosophy, but it's not necessarily halacha for their world and their philosophy, either they're going to adopt standards and principles that they don't have to adopt, or they're going to turn away, or they're going to feel insecure about what they do. But it, but 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 it was just like this is mm-hmm. not this is not the proper um, kind of work of halacha that we should be we should be serving to our students as their normative halachic psak. So what I said was misquoted as what is the safer doing in a Beit Midrash, which clearly would be extremely inappropriate and disrespectful. Um, and I had to um, have a conversation with uh, certain people about what I had actually said. And it was actually very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, it was actually a great experience because it, it led to a very interesting conversation with them. Um, okay. So my other, wait, I want yeah. to, I want to pull back. Let's zoom out again. And, and so Johnny, what you're saying and what both of you are saying is Rav Henkin's, um, uh, one of his main contribution was the, I would say, the translation of halachic terminology to modern life and to modern sensibilities. And very often, one of the things that we struggle with is the the encounter between certain certain halachic values or Torah values and modern values. And some of some of those values reflect, I would say, a different era or different sensibilities and need to be translated. And it's interesting that like Instantiuti did it. He did not do it. I mean. I, I don't. He didn't write. Uh, did, Johnny, what other books did he write that I'm not aware no, of? No, again, firstly, firstly, Bnei Bonim. It's important to know that Bnei Bonim, although quite a number of of Chuvot relate to women, this is by no means all of them do. No, no, they I'm not talking about women's issues. I'm thinking is that if you, I'm sorry, but if you're writing a shutim, that that's wonderful for the halachic world, but that's not something that's going to help pretty much anyone in the in the Hamon Am understand or appreciate or connect. Then you have those three English books like I mentioned and his essays and journals and contributions to blogs. So, so it's like in, in, could you, I know he's very involved in blogs as well. So it's really interesting because like the, the I would say the post that took up that, that mantle nowadays is without a doubt Rab Melamed, who very much in his in his Halacha tries to not only tell you what the Halacha is, but also give you the rationale behind it, especially in Hilchot Shabbat. In many of the areas of halacha that he's writing, he's not just writing what you have to do, he's writing what the understanding is, what the rationale is for it, and, and what the background is for it, and that helps him, uh, and that helps the reader in an attempt to try to bridge that gap between halacha and, between halacha and Jewish living, and I guess modern life and modern values. And it's interesting to me because, I, can you think of other examples of poskim who are trying to write in that way? Because I think that's something that's clearly very much, very much needed, especially in the in the Jewish world in which we live, in which there there's growing, I would say, a chasm between the gates heads of the world who want just tell me what to do and exactly how to do it and show me stick figures for a lot of different things, and many people who they're they're not connected to the nuance and the subtlety and the speci- and the specificity, you know. I think one of the well, things I, that I mentioned that, my dear friend Rav Yoni Yosenzweig who is Yishrei Lev, three volumes of Trubas are, are really quite magnificent. Uh, there are a few other volumes which I have myself, which I won't go into now, Taliv Racha possibly, but th- there are some. Um, but nevertheless, listen, if one pays attention, uh, these things exist. And also don't forget, even Poskim, sometimes their first Trubot appear in journals and only later on in published volumes. There are conversations 
Um, sadly, some people are less familiar with them than others, and sometimes they're less rich than they should be. And the last thing I want to turn to, I want to ask Molly about, when we talk about Rav Henkin, is the notion of modern Orthodox poskim. It seems like in the modern Orthodox world, we have Haredi poskim, or recognized poskim, and that everybody accepts them, and, and then far fewer, what I would call, modern Orthodox poskim, who are not recognized in the Haredi world, so either the, and, and the number of people who are able to both recognize and appreciate them are, are somewhat limited, I would say. Very rarely, very, very rarely do you have the unique individual who is able to straddle that gap and become recognized in both worlds. Today, I would consider Rabbi Asher Weiss, Rabbi Gedalyadov Schwartz, Zechit Tzadik Libracha was one of them. It'd be worthwhile to remember, to, th to think about remembering Rabbi Schwartz, who uh, I actually knew very well and turned to, I would consider a major, major, major um, leader of the, of the American Jewish community for many, many years. But other than that, it's like there's an imbalance. There's a, there aren't that many. Like I was reading the, I was reading today the Hespid that his son gave for him. And, and how, how beautiful it was. He liked, he liked classic rock. He liked, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like he lived in both worlds. And there are so few people who live in both worlds enough. And what I mean is the Torah world enough to be so steeped as to be able to simply to write uh, authoritatively and halakhically and, and be recognized as such. So... I wonder if you'll speak to that fact. Like now, nowadays, I think it's becoming very. Things are changing mostly because of instantaneous communication, and and this phenomenon. And somebody's going to have to study it, do a PhD on the idea not of of of, of shoot SMS, which was very short, but the phenomenon of a global posek passing around the world, almost always from Israel, via WhatsApp or email. And nowadays, it's become very, very popular very, very quickly, especially with COVID, to have one or two or three postgame, and their piskei halacha are sent around the world, literally. And, the, the, and, and so, so you're finding, perhaps, the Israeli postgame are now becoming more exposed to the American, to the American scene and to, the, and to the world at large. But until this happened, I think Rav Henkin, I would say, because he was only known to his communities, and his writings were only known to people who were exposed to them and were aware of them. Uh, the idea, I'm struggling with this idea of th that we lack modern Orthodox poskim. And we don't have large cohorts from which to, to draw when we look to people who are, who are steeped in halacha and also sensitive and able to translate to modern culture. Do you agree with that, Molly? What, what, I'm, I'm wondering what your, what your thoughts on that, and then we'll turn to Johnny. No, I, I think that it's true. Um, I just, I, I, you know, I, I just want to say, like, David, my, my husband just wrote a couple of sarim on halacha, so I feel like um, I can't not say that, you know, saying, like, he wrote a book on Moadim, he wrote a book on Tefillah. Um, and I think, the why am I mentioning it? Because I think he's trying to straddle that gap between halacha and, uh, and hashkafa. And it, his stated, you know, reason is he wants a book that he wants he wanted to put out svarim that are also this is not meant to be a like endorsement of his svarim but i'll just no say, endorse i'm a poorly endorse uh, i know your husband i consider him my my good friend yeah i don't mean to be putting him in these categories of these these rabbis i'm just saying he's trying I'm, to um, wait, time out time out he should be okay. and he is all right my point no no is, i mean you you know you're like you're not you can't log roll for him you have a problem if you're listening to this and you have shaylo 
call David Brodsky. He's an incredibly sensitive posik, and God willing, because he wrote these books at a relatively early age, hopefully he'll become known, and may, he, that's his job. That's his I, role. Okay, I, whatever. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that. Um, <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> um, but I would say that 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 he he was trying to straddle this world when he was writing his sarim of giving the the psak halacha, you know, or or like going through the halachic the development of the halacha, but also giving um, a, a more hashkafic background to the to the books. And I think that's something that you're talking about. But I do think that you're right, that there does seem to be this sense that that we that um, there's a dearth of of modern Orthodox psak. And for years we were told, well, that's one of the signs of weakness of the modern Orthodox world. They haven't uh, created uh, they haven't been able to create, a, you know, a modern Orthodox godal, right? And the kind of modern Orthodoxy was walking around with this um, inferiority complex. And I, I think it needs to be tempered. I think that inferiority complex needs to be tempered. I think, unfortunately, this year of loss um, has demonstrated retroactively, right? We lost um, Rabbi Sachs. We lost, we lost Rabbi Lamb. We lost Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Novich, um, We lost, Rabbi, as you said, Rabbi Gedalia Schwartz. And now we've lost Rabbi Henkin. Um, you know, the, and I'm sure that there are more on that list, right? But, like, only in retrospect can we say, like, wow, th th these are people that... Perhaps because we kind of grew up with them and like, you know, we didn't, they're always there in the background and nobody ever put that label on them. Like, you know, these are, we, we never had this sense, but only now looking back, we're like, yeah, the, the, we had tremendous, we had tremendous people in our communities uh, and we still have. I think, the, you know, there are people who, who of, of a tremendous stature um, and I think it's time for modern orthodoxy to start not having that sense of inferiority that, oh, we don't, we don't have the same degree of gadolim. I think there are sociological reasons, as you said, Ruby. Our leaders aren't necessarily recognized in other communities where we're very quick to recognize leaders in, um, let's say, in more right-wing communities. That's part of the reason. I also am curious, and I'd be curious to hear Johnny's perspective on the question of whether, um, the, because uh, this world, or at least a piece of it, is is less quick to um, to give bottom line quick, like you said, the shoot stuff, right? Shoot, shoot SMS will come out from, in general, a more right-wing perspective um, because there's something a little bit more black and white about it. Sometimes there, there's something um, perhaps a little bit grappling with issues uh, I don't want to say less complexly because I don't, I don't want to put that type of value judgment on it, but, but perhaps, right? And and so people who are staunchly centrist are, are not going to do that naturally and easily. And so I wonder if that also plays a role in why we don't have that those type of shootim. And maybe we do. And maybe Johnny, maybe I'm, I'm just speaking from a less educated perspective and Johnny can fill us in and say that we're, we're actually not correct and that there are more there are more leaders in, of this level. Um but I, 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 agree with, I agree with you because also I'd say I agree with you. And at the same time, I feel like my thinking about this has shifted as I've seen the losses of this past year. And I feel like as, as I'm growing up, right, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 20 years old anymore saying, oh, we have no, the only gadolim we have are Rav Soloveitchik and Rav Lichtenstein. And there's no other gadolim. Rav Lichtenstein is not appreciated by the, they don't, the, the, the right wing doesn't consider him a gadol anyway, so we don't really have any gadolim. I'm past that at this point. Um, See, it's it's very interesting because when COVID that. hit, it's interesting because in America, it's clear that when COVID hit, the American, I would, for whatever you want to call it, modern Orthodox community, they they, they looked at Rav Schechter, basically, official Schechter, and a little bit Rav Asher Weiss, 
and they said, okay, here's our posse, he's going to tell us what to do. And here in Israel, I didn't have that perception at all, that there was any one person that our community would turn to. I mean, it was, it's, I think we just asked questions less, very much so, like, mm -hmm. you know, more Isha Yashar but nobody emerged to say, okay, this is a person we turn to, maybe Rabbi Yossi Rimon, maybe right. for Israel, because Who's, he's by issuing... By the way, giving also for America all the time. Uh, no, that's what I mean. Yeah. That's a very global thing. Many, many rabbis turn to Rabbi Mon for, for, for many, many she'ilot, and, and, and he is emerging clearly as one of the leading halachic voices, and as he should. He's a, he's a you know, leading halachic voice. Uh, Johnny, you wanted to say something? I think we'll wrap it up uh, with your comments. Okay. So first and foremost, about 10 years ago, I was asked to write a short essay titled, Is There Such a Thing as Modern Orthodox Halacha? Um, and what's funny is, when you look through modern Orthodox writings, the definition of what modern Orthodox psika looks like radically differs. Some look, are, are looking for more academic scholarship. Some claim that a modern Orthodox psak would be non-agenda driven. Others would speak about uh, the desire for more creative scholarship and more philosophical scholarship, meaning even within the modern Orthodox so-called world, and you know that I'm generally quite suspicious about those kind of terms, there is no consensus of even what a modern Orthodox posek or what modern Orthodox halakha would look like. But I want to, at least for my contribution, end with a quote from Rabbi Sachs. And it's one which I, I, I hold dear because it reflects kind of my worldview, which is, he said, Our lack is not of modern Orthodox poskim, but of poskim who fully understand contemporary Am Yisrael. Not of those who find a way of saying yes, but of those whose, whose yes and no address us equally with the authority of one who understands our situation and the authenticity of one through whom the, well, the whole of Torah speaks. And I strongly believe in that. My Rav, my beloved Rav, Dan Gershon Lopium, <laughs> he would not be comfortable with him being labeled a modern Orthodox Posek. He wasn't. He, he was a beautiful Posek. Tamber of Moshe Feinstein, got Smicha from Shlomo Zaman Arbach, Ravad Yosef, the greats. You know, he was a beautiful Posek in so many ways. To presume that I can only get Psika because this person went to this yeshiva or this person's wearing this kippah, I think is absurd. Because ultimately, it's all to do with Torah. And Rav Henkin spoke for Torah. And precisely because he spoke with both authority and authenticity, he made me feel confident. Immaterial of whatever would have been on his head. That was never the question. That's not what led me to read his Chuvot. It was actually the fact he was speaking about, as I say, the issues of contemporary Amisra. So I have to push back a little bit if I understood you correctly. And you, normally we let you like end off, and, but I'm sorry, I have to push back this time. <laughs> um, if, as you say, he's speaking about contemporary reality, and as you began with, he felt very strongly that accepted practice should inform halachic norms. So there is a modern orthodox accepted practice. There's modern orthodox accepted behavior. There's modern orthodox cultural norms. You know, in, even in our shuls, in the interaction between men and women, I'll give you a, a, a prime example. Can a woman give a Dvar Torah in front of a shul? That's a norm in our, in our community, and, and it's a positive norm. But it's nowhere in the Shulchan Aruch, and if you'd go by the Shulchan Aruch, you'd say no. And so there's no, to say that there's just object, and, I, and I'm, I didn't read Rav Hinkin on this issue, but I'm one million percent sure that Rav Hinkin was fully supportive of women giving, you know, Divrei Torah in shul. And I'm not doing davening. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in a shul in general. 
So to say that there isn't a modern Orthodox halacha is, isn't, isn't giving an honest uh, uh, appraisal of no, the situation. No, I said there are different ways of interpreting what that is. And I said, quoting Rabbi Sachs, to think that that's what one should exclusively pursue is to misunderstand really what's missing. What's missing isn't somebody who went from this yeshiva and therefore is a posek. It's somebody, whoever is a posek, who understands contemporary Amisrael and pays consideration in what that means in terms of their authority so and authenticity. So my point, though, is that understands contemporary Amisrael is do you see contemporary Amisrael in all of its colors or do you see Osemase Amcha, as I would call it? And I think that's something that has to be given more attention, much more attention. And I think that the rabbinic leadership has to give it more attention and turn to poskim that understand and appreciate that and value ma'aseh amcha in halachic ways. I'm not talking about, obviously, about, you know, we're all fall short in different ways, but there are aspects of our community that are perfectly halachic, that are not acceptable to, the, to, to many poskim. And I think that we, we need that to be something that we strive for in our, in our halachic in our halachic um, um, goals, I would say. Molly, do you want to add something? I agree. Nope. Good. Okay. So we're going to end up with our hamlatzot, our recommendations for the week. Everybody's giving me like, oh God, I forgot to, uh, I forgot to think of something. So I'm looking around frantically, Johnny's going to recommend coffee. Uh, Molly, <laughs> okay, I'll go first. I'm saving something from last week. I would like to share, I just finished a book called no Ordinary Time, which was written by Doris Coins Goodwin and won the Pulitzer Prize about the, the life of Franklin and Eleanor, Del and, and Eleanor Roosevelt. Very, 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 very good read. Very, very fascinating. The, the, it was unbelievable how there was a collusion between the executive branch, the press, to completely mislead the American people about the health of the president. Things were just kept secret. I mean, it's really unbelievable the kinds of things that they did and got away with and were totally accepted in that time. It was just a different time. No ordinary time. Relationship between husband and wife are fascinating. Really, really fascinating. Um, definitely worth reading if you've got a lot of, lot of time in your hands. Johnny. Um, uh, my brief Hamlatsa is a complete random thing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a, a, the, a book I'd ordered some months ago, Yitz Greenberg of Modern Orthodoxy, The Road Not Taken, came through in the post. The post where I live is really pretty poor. Uh, while it's a fascinating book, what particularly made me smile was uh, an interesting point raised by Alan Brill, which is, and here I speak as a Brit, did you know, according to Alan Brill, that uh, the, pretty much, at least according to his research, the first time the term modern orthodox was used was used with reference to the British Institute, British scholar um, Michael Friedlander, the head of the British Jews College in 1892. My friends, 1892, Jews College, modern orthodox. You know, all these institutions in America want to start explaining the term, you know, come back to the old country and we'll glad to explain to you what it all, it's all about. It always comes back to the old country. Molly. I don't have one. I forgot again. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not even going to try. I, don't, I can't even pull one out of my hat. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we'll stop here. I want to thank Molly Brasky. I'm Johnny Solomon. I want to thank all of you for listening, for sharing, for increasing uh, the listenership, sending out your comments. Uh, we appreciate it very much, and we love hearing from you. My name is Julian Spolter. I want to thank my son, Takia Spolter, for his music. Have a great week, everyone. As I always ask.